What the fuck is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Gray Area here with Billy McCormick and Drew Venerable. Today we're going to go deep dive into the NFL draft that happened, talk about the Bears, who the big winners and losers are, and, you know, everything else NFL-related. We've got some Chicago Bulls documentary talk, some Dennis Rodman possibly being the real GOAT. I don't know. We'll talk about it. And then me and Drew are just going to talk about some music and what we've been on at the end. So I guess, Drew, how do we feel about the Bears coming out of this draft? I just want to kind of give a quick disclaimer to those folks who may not be um, right as big in sports as we are. So this, this, this episode is going to be fully loaded with a, a ton of um, sports dues. Kind of ironic, given the fact that there's basically no sports. Um, but the NFL draft was this weekend, and it was like the most watched draft in the last – I don't know, I think five or 10 years, um, which makes sense, right? Like a lot of people haven't, you know, we need that. Like Americans are so drawn to sports and, and I think it's not just Americans. I think it's around the world. Like everyone has that outlet to look forward to, whether it's that, you know, the Tuesday night when your, your home basketball team is playing or, you know what I mean? Or Sunday night football, Monday night football, right? Uh, baseball game at, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon, like things like that. Like those are the things that we look forward to to kind of escape, um, our, our regular lives, I shall say, and kind of get some excitement. But, yeah, the NFL draft happened. Uh, the Bears, um, the, we don't have – they didn't have a ton of picks. Obviously, we, we um, traded away, I think, two first-rounders for Khalil Mack. We traded away a fourth-rounder for Nick Foles, um, right? So, we, we didn't have a, a whole lot of drafts. Um, the, the Bears had the 43rd overall pick, and I want to say the 50th overall pick. Um, both second-round picks, we came away with uh, Cole. Um, My- Komet, is that how you say his last name? That's how I've heard everyone saying it, at least. Okay, so yeah, Cole yeah. Komet. Cole Komet, uh, tight end out of Notre Dame. Um, I mean, on a physical level, he has all the measurables that you're looking for in a tight end. He's pretty fast. He's lean. He's big. Um, and he, he, he had a kind of a weird career at Notre Dame. Um, his first year, he played in a couple of games. His second year, he played in a couple of games, and then um, and I think he got hurt. And then I think I also think he got hurt a little bit his, uh, this, this last junior year that he had, but his production wasn't all that. I think he had around 40 or 50 catches, maybe four or 500 yards. Um, but he did have those flashes that kind of gave you the, right, like you're, like you're watching him play and like, hey, man, this, this kid might have something. Um, also, he's from Lake Barrington, Illinois. Uh, I think he went to St. Bider High School. Yep, St. Bider. He's a, he's a uh, what, the, what the true Chicagoans might not like, but uh, he is a, right, hometown Chicago kid. Um, so I think it was a, a, from a, from a, what am I looking for? From a fan perspective, I think that they hit the, this pick out of the park. I don't know if you saw this, but he, his parents live in, um, I want to say Arlington Heights. Yep. And there was literally like hundreds of cars lined up on his block to like, kind of like they were hunking and like waving signs and like saying what's up, like to him and his family. Like, so, I mean, that was a pretty cool thing to see. But me personally, I think we reached for a tight end in a just a, a, a tight end class that isn't that talented and um tight ends don't usually produce uh, early on in their first couple of years anyways right like if you look back at the last year's draft um tj hawkinson noah font they were both i think uh i think they were both first round picks they contributed uh i would say more on a minor scale i think 30 to 40 catches a couple hundred yards a couple touchdowns here and there um, but I guess on the on the devil's advocate side, 
uh, Matt Nagy re- really does need that tight end in his offense to kind of uh, make make the, make the ball go around. I guess that makes sense. So I, overall, I'm not too upset about the pick. Um, there was some folks on the on the board that I would have right, liked us to um, go ahead and draft other than him, but like I think, like I said, from a fan perspective, um, they knocked it out of the park. Uh, what are your thoughts on that first pick they that they uh, did? Well, yeah, I, I'm always a fan of when we could get uh, a nice story like that, the hometown kid, as you said. Um, Cole Komet, uh, like I said, too, as physical being, perfectly fine. I, I don't think he'll be as bad as people are hating on him. I've read a lot of people hating on him online that are uh, Bears fans or, quote-unquote, like Bears analysts, people online in Chicago, some very happy, some very upset. Um the biggest complaint about his skill set um, that I've seen is about his run blocking and that he likes to actually that he likes to um, body catch a lot. And that I didn't I've never I didn't get to watch a lot of Notre Dame football. Not a fan uh, this past season, so I don't know. I've only been able to see the clips online on Twitter. Um, I know. That could be biased one way or the other, but overall, I've I've gone back now and I watched a couple of his highlights, and I do agree with you, Drew, that I don't necessarily think we needed to pick a tight end with that first pick, given our limited picks. Uh, but I mean, it's at this point we have him. You know, he's on the Bears. He like there's no going back. So now at this point, like I can't do anything but support the guy. It's like how I felt about Mitch Trubisky. I was very upset when we drafted him, but. At the end of the day, you got to give him a shot, you know? So, let's see. I guess we'll see what Cole's going to do this season. I do want to say that second pick is a pick I really, really liked. Uh, so, the Bears at the number 50 spot got Jalen Johnson. He's a uh, corner out of Utah. Um, for those who don't know, Utah is was surprisingly good to a level of success this past year. They're I mean, Utah as a state is low-key, in my opinion. I don't really think that many people follow their college football. But I think this is a good pick. Um, we definitely needed a corner with Prince going to be gone. This guy's got some history of injuries. Uh, I don't really know what injuries they are, given, you know, it is uh, Utah. But I don't know. I'll have to find out. Like I said, it's same thing with Cole Komet. We're going to see what happens. Anyone later in the draft, admittedly, I – didn't even know. I was like, cool, Bears got a guy. So that's how I felt after those first two picks. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I kind of agree with you. Um, I think I did like the positions that we drafted, though. Um, drafted an, another receiver, a linebacker. Um, we drafted an O-lineman in there. Um, so I think they did kind of address some of the, 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 the gaps on the team. I wanted to circle back to uh, Cole Komet, uh, um a couple – I know we kind of moved on, but yeah, I mean, I hope nothing but the best for the kid. Um, I just, you know, there's, I, I feel like there, he may have been there later on in the draft. Um, people say he was unanimously the best tight end in the draft, but that doesn't necessarily mean you kind of need to take him that early. Now I hope the kid has a ton of success, ton of success. Um, but yeah, like I mentioned earlier, right. The tight ends just do have a little bit of a struggle when they transition from college into the NFL. It takes them usually a couple of years before they're kind of um, day one, or I guess it wouldn't be day one until they're like starters actively contributing to the team, average, uh, getting, you know, a ton of catches, um, you know, blocking things like that. But I do really, really like Jalen Johnson. Uh, 
I think he he gave up I think three three receptions over over ten yards all year long, um, in a pass happy in a pass happy conference. Um, I think there was like four, like thirty five targets, and I think he only gave up four um, three or four catches over ten yards, which is phenomenal. He graded out as one of the best um, cornerbacks in the entire draft, and he. Um, He's, he's projected to kind of be a day one starter, like a plug and play guy. And those are really valuable, right? Like if you can draft a guy and he'll be a starter on your, on your team the next year, that's that's usually a knockout of the park. And as far as the other picks, yeah, like, like you mentioned, um, I'm not too keen to like the fourth, fifth, sixth round picks. Um, but, you know, I will say I did see an interesting stat. It was, um, I think it was like 60% of like the, the starters from the last year's draft came after the second, uh, first and second round, which I guess – when you, you kind of adjust for the amount of players that are drafted in the first two rounds versus the last, I don't know, five rounds, I guess it does make sense. But that's still a good a good uh, statistic because you kind of realize that you can get starters literally anywhere in the draft. Um, so, yeah, overall, I think the Bears did decent with the, the limited picks that they had. But a couple of days before the draft, we, we got some real crazy news that I think we can't pass up. Rob Gronkowski came out of retirement and somehow forced his way into a trade to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where he he will now be time or will be uh, partnered up with Tom Brady uh, as they um, go after that that seventh ring for Tom. That was some crazy news. I didn't really see it coming, but so I guess some folks did. How do you feel about what happened, man? That was crazy. Yeah, I think it. I think it's pretty crazy. I think the deal itself was uh, crazy enough. So Gronk comes out of retirement, and he gets traded for a fourth round pick and a seventh round pick. All and this was all done by just promising Gronk that he could live inside the pirate ship at the stadium, <laughs> and he's pretty excited about that. He's excited to be in Tampa Bay. I'm excited to watch them. I like. Here's the thing. How quickly in the last, I would say, 12 months, I've gone from not caring at all about Tampa Bay Buccaneer football and to <laughs> how many tam- – like, I would, I love watching Jameis Winston. Or at all least in, I baby. Did. Yeah, all fucking – I'm excited because this team just dramatically switched. I don't – I really don't know what to expect. I, it'll be fun, though. I'm hoping they give Gronk, like, number 69 or something. Let's, <laughs> make, let's make it fun if we're just making a run for it. And ultimately, the goal, I think – would be to see Tom versus Bill in the Super Bowl. But. Yeah, man, that's exciting. I, I I really do think they have a chance to to go really far. Uh, they are, they are in a tougher division, I will say. Um, but man, it's going to be exciting to watch them chase after that that ring. Um, Super Bowl is going to be in Tampa Bay, which would be even crazier. Um, but I think obviously the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were probably the biggest winners of the draft if we're going to include that Rob Gronkowski trade in there. Now we don't really know how much he has left in the tank. Um, that's for uh, the folks to kind of debate. But, I, I mean, any way you look at it, he's going to cause double teams in the red zone. Um, he may not be as fast as he was, as strong as he was, but he's still going to contribute to the team. And, and they have O.J. Howard on the other side to, to kind of be a, um, um, a compliment to, to him as well. So the Bucks are definitely going to be a team you want to look, look out for. They also drafted with their first pick an uh, offense lineman, um, offense tackle, who Tristan Wirfs, who's going to come in, probably be a day one starter. So man, yeah, they're they're gonna be um they're gonna be tough one. They're gonna be tough for sure. Um, I would like to talk about a big loser, Drew. Yeah, man. Um, big loser of the draft. Aaron Rodgers. Oh, Aaron Rodgers is probably the biggest loser to me. 
because it's clear that the Packers just want to fuck with Aaron Rodgers at this point. So I have mixed emotions on this, right? I struggle, right, with with um, loving and hating the pick. Um, or the, they traded up to what twenty six? I think they were originally at thirty. They traded up to twenty six to draft Jordan Love, quarterback out of Utah. Um, right? The, I guess for you, for those who don't know, Jordan Love is one of those guys who's kind of being compared to Patrick Mahomes, right? Didn't play in like um, traditional, um, right, big name school like um, Alabama or like a Michigan or Ohio State or LSU, nothing like that. He, he went to Utah, but he's got this freakish, freakishly um, strong arm and he can throw from all these different angles, kind of uh, been, right, like I said, compared to Patrick Mahomes. Now the knock on him is that he's had, he had, by far the the highest percentage of uncatchable passes um, out of any first round prospect we've seen in a very long time. Um, I saw some terrible throws and someone making like, it was a little Twitter compilation with of him just overthrowing receivers, bad interceptions. Yeah. It's weird. So I, but then also in this film, you see the flashes where you see it, where he, where it's warranted that he was getting those Patrick Mahomes uh, comparisons. He has those funky arm angles where you can kind of get the ball out, right? No matter, you know, which way he's facing, which, which direction he's running. So there's definitely some upside there. Um, Now the knock is the right Aaron Rodgers needed to get some, he needed some weapons in order to um, right to, to, to facilitate that offense because they were 13 and three, but they were probably one of the least impressive 13 and three teams I've seen in a long time, especially offensively. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of fans, a lot of um, folks in the media were expecting them to kind of go wide receiver. Um, so, so someone who can kind of, um, you know, make the offense a little bit more explosive to complement Devonte Adams. Now where they were in the draft, Henry Ruggs was already taken uh, by the, the, the Raiders. Uh, he's the guy who ran a 4 2 7 at Alabama, who was the first receiver taken off the board over Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb was taken um, by the Cowboys at like 17. And then Jerry Judy was taken at 15 by the uh, Denver Broncos. And then I think Justin Jefferson was at like 22, the wide receiver from LSU, um, out of um, uh, he was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. So, had any of those guys been available uh, later in those in those twenties, I, I think it would have been really really hard for the Packers to justify drafting Jordan Love at that spot. Um, but to play devil's advocate here, man, they drafted Aaron Rodgers when Brett Favre was thirty five years old, um, it's kind of in his prime, maybe towards the end of his prime. Um, but we did see later on he had a couple of more years in the tank, and Aaron Rodgers sat for a couple of years behind Brett Favre. Now Aaron Rodgers is actually thirty six. And he had a sh- a pretty noticeable decline last year. Now I know they were thirteen and three, which you know some of the folks who who may not uh, be um, as I don't want to I don't want to call say knowledgeable because I'm I don't think that I'm more knowledgeable than the next guy uh, per se. But like from like a um, most most stats and um, data will tell you that he kind of landed somewhere towards the middle of the pack last year um, as far as quarterback efficiency. He had some of the the, the in the last ten years. He I mean he hasn't looked that uh, I don't want to say pedestrian but he he looked like kind of a a regular guy with sparks of that old Aaron Rodgers now I think next year he's going to come back with a bigger edge because of this pick but I think that they're trying to set themselves up to 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 ensure that they're dominant their dominance in the the NFC North right like if you look at an organization like the Chicago Bears man we haven't had a Pro Bowl caliber 
I guess I guess Mr. Trubisky made the Pro Bowl, but he was like a replacement. But like, we haven't had like a true All Pro, Pro Bowl caliber quarterback in a very long time, man. And we and right like organizations like us, we don't even draft quarterbacks enough to, and, and it, it kind of makes sense why we we have a terrible QB history. Whereas like the Packers, they went back to back, Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, and I think they're just thirty trying, plus years of dominance. Exactly, I think they're just trying to make sure that they prolong their dominance and have the less amount of. Um, the least amount of uh, losing seasons or average seasons as possible. Now, obviously, right. I would trade. I, I would have my team have seven, seven, you know, five to seven losing seasons in a row. If that means I guarantee one Super Bowl. but on the contrary, man, if they're always competing for a division title, always competing for a um, NFC title, right. Like every year they have no years where they're not. I mean, I, I think I would, my, my, I don't know. It'd be a, a hard decision for me. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers has a little, has a couple years left in the tank, and I think that drafting Jordan Love is only going to make that tank a little bit more full and maybe a little bit more long. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I hope it works out. As a Bears fan, I'm I'm happy to see it. But I think that at the end of the day, like if we look back on this draft, maybe five, ten years down the road, who knows, man? I think that pick may it it has the potential to be um, the biggest winner. Uh, unfortunately. For, for me as a Bears fan, but I know, right, obviously um, it wasn't a popular decision by most folks. Right, yeah, and a lot of people were concerned how Aaron Rodgers was directly going to react to having Jordan Love there, if he was going to want to teach him, uh, you know, kind of maneuver him in the system to replace Aaron when it comes along that it's Aaron's time to go. You know, Aaron came out publicly and said, look, uh, I'm going to embrace this guy. I'm going to love him like a brother. And that means he's not going to talk to him at all. And he's going to fucking hate him just like he actually hates <laughs> his real brother. It's also very funny, very, very funny that his brother's name is Jordan. So now the person that's closest to taking his job away from him is his brother. In theory. <laughs> um, it's also very, very funny to me that, so, so I, I, let me back up. I do agree. There are some, there are some uh, pros of drafting Jordan Love and being in this position because, like we said, this might work out. You know, it worked out from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. Like, I remember at one point, I thought Aaron Rodgers was trash. I used to play old Madden games, and when Brett Favre would get hurt, I'd be like, fuck, I have Aaron Rodgers in now. That's a weird <laughs> thing to say. Like, he used to throw so many picks in that game. But it's very funny that also – I'm looking at the Packers draft picks right now, and they drafted not one wide receiver within one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Within their nine picks, the second round, they actually took um, a second running back, uh, A.J. Dillon out of Boston College. I don't really know much about him, but I do know that they have Aaron Jones, who just came off a pretty good season himself. I'm not aware of his contract situation, but it just seems like they didn't improve offensively like they needed to if they're trying to be in this win now mode so as a Bears fan I'm going to enjoy this until you know inevitably Jordan Love becomes a Hall of Famer <laughs> exactly man. and we don't win a division title for 15 years so. like I think that's like the worst best case scenario like fucking difference in the, in the world but yeah man I agree that second pick um Dylan out of Boston College a very 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 productive co uh, college running back um bigger frame gonna take those hits gonna do some blocking gonna you know pound the rock per se um, I think the production was there. The talent's there. The 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 value that the running back holds in today's NFL, um, very low. Even, especially the kind of running back that he is, not warranted that second round pick. Um, 
especially for the Packers, given their situation where they don't have any very offensive weapons. I will say shout out to Jay Kumro, uh, 16 on the Packers, uh, homie back from college, um, undrafted free agent, uh, been on the ro- active roster for the last two years, right? He, he's an active uh, contributor to that team um, behind Devontae Adams. Um, but yeah, I mean, like they, they do need a little bit of spark on that, in that wide receiver core, um, especially if they want to maximize Aaron Rodgers' last couple of years. Um, but to move on, man, like who do you think who do you think had the best draft um, or, or maybe not the best draft, but like, right. Like who do you think is going to come in and day one, just kind of contribute to the team and kind of, you know, elevate and uh, be responsible for helping them win a couple more games than they did last year. Um, okay. So I'll start with a couple winners. First off, I think a big winner was, I think, you know, obviously the Bengals, they get Joe Burrow at number one. Um, I, I'm a big Joe Burrow guy. I do hope him success. And I do think out of uh, number ones that I've seen in my lifetime or top first quarterbacks taken, I do think he is one of the better people to come out of the draft. I've, it's, I guess to compare him to someone else that I didn't have as much faith in was someone like Blake Bortles. When he was the number one quarterback, I didn't, I wasn't sure he was going to be a star as right now. I do think Joe Burrow, um, could be a star, you know, coming out of a big season in college. I do think in day two, um, I think they got T Higgins with the first pick in the second draft. Yeah. Um, and they got Logan Wilson as a linebacker. I think that that those three picks alone, I don't know the other people on the, that they drafted, but I think those three picks alone are big for them, especially competing in a division now where the quarterbacks are Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, and, uh, Who's their one? Is it? I mean, it could be Big Ben, but I don't really know who it's going to be. Yeah, uh, Ben's still there. All right, and then I, another winner that I had was um, what's his face? The uh, the Giants actually. The Giants had like really really good draft. Um, I don't really know what to expect out of the Giants. I don't really know what to expect out of the NFC East, to be honest with you. Because I, I, I know that the Cowboys had a decent draft, and I thought the Giants had a good draft. I don't know too much about the Redskins or the Eagles. But overall, I'd say, yeah, the Giants were – the Giants and the Bengals were two big winners I saw in the draft. That's fair, man, I, and I agree. Um, the Giants, uh, uh, the, that first pick, I think they drafted Andrew Thomas, offensive tackle out of Georgia. Um, but – yeah, a lot of folks were a little a little surprised at that one just because there, you know, there may have been one or two tackles still available that uh, graded out a little bit higher. But at the end of the day, if right, if you're in a position and you know you think that's your guy, man, I'm gonna go ahead and take him, man. Like, um, you don't have to go with the group think uh, when it comes to the, the draft, right? It's it's not an exact science, and we've seen that year after year that no matter what happens in college it's really, really hard to tell who's actually going to, you know, pan out um, if that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, for me, I think that the, the, the two biggest winners from an offensive perspective who I think elevated their teams to a pretty good level. I think that the Dallas Cowboys getting CeeDee Lamb, I think that's pick 17 or 18, which some fo- a lot of people had him at the, as the number one receiver in this entire draft class. I personally think Jerry Judy was the number one receiver, but to add CeeDee Lamb to the combination of Rand or ooh, I almost said Randall Cobb, uh, that was weird. Um, <laughs> Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and now CeeDee Lamb, that that receiver core is going to be deadly. I know a lot of people still are a little bit uncertain on Dak, but um, 
the production that Dak's had these last couple of years, I think is um, speaks for itself. Right? He, he's going to sling the rock. He's gonna, not going to turn the ball over. And although he's may not, um, he may not has have been, he may not have been as clutch as we would have liked to see. Um, his talent and his production is um, unquestioned, and I think that that offense is only going to be, you know, get even better. Um, and then the other uh, offensive winner I have from this draft. Drew Locke and the Denver Broncos. Yes, sir. Yes, Drew Locke, sir. Man, I I think we talked about Drew Locke on another episode. Um, but I'm all in. I'm on yeah, the bandwagon. Man, Drew Locke, he was singing fucking um, what's the song? Um, put on by Young Jeezy. Yeah, put on by Young Jeezy um, on the sideline, going nuts. I think he, he he gained a lot of fans that day. But um, man, they went they went heavy. They went heavy, heavy on offense. They got Jerry Judy at pick fifteen. Um, like I said, I think he was my first. Um, I think he was my greater, my number one receiver. His route route running ability is insane. His footwork is something that I've never seen in my life. Yes, I said it. Never seen his footwork in my life. He's unreal. Unreal. Like that dude will. He will. He'll make you look silly. He'll put your ankles on the floor. Put your jaw where. I mean, you you'll just you won't even know what happened. Um, but then, right, they had number um, th- the number fifteen pick, and then they came back in round two, and they and they drafted um, KJ Hamler, um, and he is also a very 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 good wide receiver who went to Penn State. But I mean, they're really right. They compete in that AFC West with the Denver or with the Kansas City Chiefs, who obviously have that that very very prolific offense. Drew Locke, biggest winner of this draft. Uh, they also went and got a, a tight end in, in round three. They're ba- they're basically all in, right? Like the only way to beat the, the Kansas City Chiefs is going to be to outscore them. You can load up on defense all you want. Uh, if you don't got a, a, you know, five to ten pro bowls on your defense, I'm, I'm going to say this, you, you're, not stop- you're not stopping Patty Mahomes. So I think Drew Locke, man, they went all in on him. So shout out to John Elway. Um, sticking with this guy and going and getting some fucking weapons because we see it all, all, we see it constantly every single year. Right? We criticize these quarterbacks, but these front offices they don't they don't arm these guys with the talent they need to succeed. Right? Like it's I, I don't know, man. I think they're gonna have um, that division. Obviously, is, is gonna be tough, but I think they're they're going all in on Drew Lock and and hopefully it works out. I, yeah, no, I hope it works out too. Um, especially because it, it always seems like John Elway is always trying to find someone who's like good enough to be serviceable, but not good enough to be better than John Elway. You know, yeah, John Elway goes, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Joe Flacco's just entering his prime. We all saw how that worked out. So, I mean, Joe, um, John Elway is a, a has some some decisions where I don't think are the best, but I, I think that he did a good job with this one. Yeah, I do. I do want to mention uh, one more winner that I had in this, and it's actually the Ravens. The Ravens, uh, I forgot this because their first two picks I really enjoyed. They got uh, Patrick Queen out of LSU, the linebacker, and they also got J.K. Dobbins, which that he's just another explosive, um, explosive weapon for Lamar Jackson. I think that that offense is it's going to be even more exciting to watch. I'm really looking forward to that. It's not great news for you know the the Steelers, as I'm, I'm kind of going through their draft picks, seems like they were some losers and they were in their division. Um, did you have any losers, Drew? Um, the, I, I don't, I, I have a, I have a hard time calling them a lo- loser because of this, but the Philadelphia Eagles, they probably made the most 
um, bizarre trade of, of or yeah, bizarre pick out of anyone um, this draft. They drafted um, they drafted Jalen Hurts, quarterback out of Oklahoma. Um, obviously, uh, he transferred from from Alabama before, but right, he's a, a a dynamic prospect, right? Like size, speed, you know, has has a pretty decent arm. But the knock on him is right; he's he may not be right that NFL quarterback. He doesn't have the anticipation throws. He doesn't have the the um, accuracy, um, the footwork. His mechanics are a little bit funky at times. So a lot of folks see him as a project, or as like maybe someone who can come in and. Uh, be a package kind of guy like a, a a Taysom Hill, but they they went in they drafted him in the second round, which was obviously I mean, a lot of folks thought that that was bizarre, right? You have you have Carson Wentz who just signed that massive extension over a hundred million dollars that he's locked in for another four to five years, so you you went and draft a, a quarterback in the second round who's basically probably not going to see the field, right? This is what a lot of people are saying, um, but I I think that. Um, Doug Peterson, they see how valuable, right? Like Taysom Hill has been for the uh, the New Orleans Saints, right? They line him up at quarterback, tight end, running back, receiver. I see Jalen Hurts as a similar kind of prospect, right? Like, um, and he's always going to propose that threat of throwing the ball, right? Like, I don't know if y'all remember back when the Wildcat was really, really popular. The, the biggest reason why the Wildcat was so successful in the first uh, year, two years when it was implemented. It essentially gives you a, a number, another blocker for those folks who don't understand, right? Like if, um, right, if the quarterback, when they hand the ball, they don't really do anything. As far as when you have, a, if your quarterback is a, a run threat on a designed run, you have an extra blocker, you have an extra ball carrier, which give, technically gives you advantage on most defensive schemes. Um, obviously there's ways to scheme around that, but when this guy also pro, uh, poses a threat to throw the ball, then it's going to give offense, uh, defenses a little harder time on right, figuring out what's going to go on. So, I mean, I think if they can design some plays for him to get on the field, 10 to 15 plays a game, um, this very well may end up being a, a good pick for them. I think it's just hard to see right now, um, given that we're so far away from the season, we kind of don't know how they're going to use him. But um, I think it's a good situation for Jalen Hurts himself. Um, so, Hey, like I said, I don't, I don't want to call him a loser. I, I would say one of the more bizarre picks, but I think that it could potentially um, work out for them as well. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean, it really comes down to the, how, like, the coaching staff and that team utilize them. Because, I mean, you've seen it work out, like you mentioned, with Taysom Hill in New Orleans, or you've seen it fail, you know, in, with the Jets when they tried doing well with, with Tim Tebow, you know. And that, well, that might say more about the Jets than using, like, a Wildcat quarterback or something like that. But, like I said, it just goes back to how are they going to implement it. And I'm, I'm interested to see uh, Jalen Hurts play a little bit just because I was a fan of him when he was at Bama. And then he, he handled the situation of handling it over to Tua uh, pretty respectfully. went to Oklahoma. So, you know, he seems like a good guy. I'm always going to support him while he's in the league. If we, but if we want to talk about bizarro picks, Drew, uh, so I'm going to talk about the New England Patriots for a second. Oh, man. All right. I, so I, I take it we're going to, into the uh, controversy side of uh, what you say? the draft. I, I take it we're going to talk about the controversy things that happened in the draft because I got something for you as well. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm following you. 
Yeah, so um, for those who don't know, uh, Bill Belichick picked up the special teams player of the year last year in college. I will have his name in one second. His name is Justin Rochewasher, and that just sounds like a character out of American History X. And you may think, wow, that's a really German name. Hmm, you know what else is really German? The uh, Nazi tattoos and stuff that his dude has on his arm. This guy is quite the character. Um, for those who don't know, this kicker by the Patriots got taken. And on his arm, he has a series of, I don't know, random military tattoos, random other groups. And there's this small tattoo. Uh, it looks like three steel poles. Um, and it's what a lot of people are referencing is that this is a part of a group called the Three Percenters. And I didn't know what the Three Percenters was until I looked it up, but it turns out that the Three Percenters is a far-right milit uh, militia group in the United States that supports uh, pretty much, you know, running things by themselves, you know, not using the actual government and just using their own weapons. Uh, this guy, as you can imagine, there's been some discourse about this. People have been asking questions. And it, I, I don't know what the, the whole story is going to be, but he got asked about it and he was quoted saying, I thought it stood for a military support symbol at the time. It evolved into something I don't want to represent, which that doesn't make sense, but that's okay. Uh, he did say he's getting the tattoo covered or removed. I don't know which one it is, but interesting pick nonetheless. One of the more memorable uh, storylines, I guess, of the draft because it was it kind of took everyone back. Uh, what were you going to say, Drew? You wanted to add something? Yeah, man, I, I think a uh, shout out to Mina Kimes, one of my favorite, favorite journalists of all time. Very, very um, just insightful, uh, intelligent woman who works for ESPN, but um, something that she mimicked, right? Like we've heard about organizations asking players in pre-draft process if their mom was a prostitute. How the fuck did this not come up at some point during these pre-draft process? Now, I understand coronavirus has prevented a lot of those interviews from happening, but they're still happening virtually. Um, you know, I, I find it hard to believe that um, <laughs> the Patriots didn't know that this guy had this very controversial tattoo, right? Like, we, we, these players are violated. Um, their personal privacy is violated all the time. And something like this actually kind of gets swept under the rug. Um, quite frankly, I, I don't like it. One thing that uh, Mina also mimicked earlier today was she goes, hey, it's okay if you make a mistake. People make mistakes all the time. Now, I think you, you, you can't just say, I, I don't like, you can't just say, yeah, it was a mistake. I, I don't agree with this anymore. But you should be able, you should be able to provide a reason on why you don't believe this anymore. Like why you think that you were wrong in the past, right? Like, like you can't just say, I'm sorry. And just leave it at that. I, you have to elaborate, I think in order for that apology to be uh, genuine and in order for you to be taken seriously. There's a ton of controversy uh, revolved around this group right there, seen as a, uh, you know, anti-government far right militia group who right, is going to do whatever they, they want to do to uh, quote unquote, protect the constitution. But I mean, I don't know, man, like I said, man, the NFL is, is uh, notorious for invading players privacy during the draft process. And I, I just find Oh boy, those stories this year. Is that what you're talking about? About yeah. the pre -draft? Oh, yeah. okay, I got it. So now, so to segue another thing, ESPN has been getting a lot of flag uh, for, right? Like, 
for every player that <laughs> putting the worst thing that's ever happened to someone yeah. on TV in text. Yeah, I, I first of all, I never fucking realized how many NFL prospects' parents fucking died, but I feel like ten of them's dad got hit by a car, fucking overcame drug. Like I, I don't know. Like ESPN was highlighting. Obviously, it's a it's a huge part of them, right? They overcame this adversity, um, which going through a lot of traumatic processes, uh, uh, a lot of traumatic situations, you know, uh, I don't want to say diminishes, it, it minimizes your, your chances of making it, you know, in whatever you're doing. So it, it actually is a beautiful thing that they've persevered and made it through all these, um, you know, acts of adversity. But uh, yeah, like it, there's just something about just like exposing black and brown people's trauma um, in like a, a moment of like, success right like i understand that they probably got permission from all these folks um i, I some of them were, were fine but some of them just seemed, some of them we were reaching like a motherfucker yeah, some of them just, just seemed a little dis, distasteful right like i think it's important right if someone lost the parent um and if it's a part of them and and they, they talk about it that's one thing but like one guy one of them was like oh so-and-so's mom fought drug addiction for 16 years and like that was it like Okay. Yeah, it was like it was like top receiver in the draft, great routes. Mother was a drug addict. Like yeah, those like, are the what, three bullet like, points. There was no, there was no real. I don't know. I don't think there was any real um, reason to highlight that. Um, now, I think the guy did go on and say, "Hey, it's okay. Like I gave him permission. It's actually a part of me. Like I, I respect you. Like no worries." So I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna speak for some, 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 some other people. I just think that they just gotta make sure that they're careful and are doing things in the right way, um, you know, next time they go around uh, and do this, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and I, and honestly, I don't know about you, but I actually really liked the draft format this year. I liked, uh, I mean, I know that there's some aspects of the in-person, you know, the draft walking across the stage, getting the hat, shaking Roger Goodell's hand. That's pretty nice. That formal, being in the green room is like part of the experience. But I, but I did like seeing people with their, like, you know, their close family and friends just in their homes, and with other, other than those comments, I, I didn't have much to complain about. They, just like you mentioned, some of those comments were just so outrageous because they were just stretching to get views on some people. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but there was like one person where it was like, it was like their grandfather, like that they didn't even meet like died of cancer or something and i was like what like I, I, yeah yeah, yeah, so, I didn't see that one. <laughs> yeah, let, yeah he was in world war ii and he, he died he wasn't in the war but he just died during world war ii like just like stupid facts yeah. Yeah. um i do i do want to make a transition real quick on to the other big uh sports moment we got going on besides the draft and that is the uh chicago bulls document the last dance. Yes, sir. For those who haven't been watching, uh, you're lame as hell, and you should be. Um, <laughs> but for those who, seriously, if you haven't. You're lame it, ass, boy. Yeah, 10 hours, 10 episodes covering the 90s Bulls. Basically, the, it, there's been four episodes so far. It's coming out two at a time every single Sunday until they get to the 10th episode. Runs on ESPN. Um, this week was a real, real good one. Episodes three and four. It started with. Uh, hey, hold on, hold on, Billy. Kind of let me let me kind of give a quick summary for those folks who may not know. So essentially, the last dance is referring to that last ninety-seven, ninety-eight season for the Bulls when they went and uh, got their sixth and final um, NBA championship. 
Now, a lot of folks didn't know this. Like, we're both from Chicago, but we both were born at the end of this, this Michael Jordan era. Um, so we were very young when this happened. But the Bulls had won. Um, they won five of the last eight championships. Um, you know, Michael Jordan was towards the end of his career. Scottie Pippen was getting towards the end of his career. Dennis Rodman was getting towards the end of his career. And after that fifth title, there was a lot of talk that, right, the, 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 the Bulls were going to um, kind of get rid of their – their their organization and start going into a not get rid of the organization but get rid of the, the the organization at current state like maybe move on from Scottie Pippen move on from Phil Jackson move on from MJ and kind of start a rebuild process uh, before right they kind of saw the, the the sharp decline that a lot of folks anticipated um, and Jerry Krause who was the was the GM of the the Bulls at the time literally told Phil Jackson that I don't care if you win 82 games you're not coaching next year. So this entire last season, the Bulls um, were operating. They knew that this was their last hoorah. Like, they, like I didn't know this, but, like, obviously I'm, I'm a little bit younger, but I, I didn't know about this. Um, Dumbest move in basketball uh, by someone who's had a lot of success personally, I feel. Exactly. So these guys are just they're, – they're, they're fighting for um, each other, right? Like, you know, they want – they're like, all right, if this is the last dance. We know it's the last dance. Like, we're going to fucking – we're going to we're gonna, – do whatever we got to do to win this championship. So that's essentially what the the premise of the documentary is built on. And now they, and then they deep dive into individual players, individual stories um, that was going on during, um, you know, the, 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 the Bulls run in the nineties. But yeah, this last week's episodes uh, were phenomenal. There was a lot of people complaining that we didn't get enough Dennis Rodman in the first two. Well, I hope you're satisfied. Oh, 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 a lot man. of fucking Dennis Rodman last week, man. Um, I'll let you kind of dive into that. Yeah, so uh, based off this episode, I'm actually confused why anyone's ever considered Michael Jordan to be the greatest basketball player ever and why they don't consider Dennis Rodman. So to give you a short summary uh, before I kind of go into some specifics about Dennis Rodman, Dennis Rodman is a freak of nature. Some might refer to him as a superhero. Some might refer to him as a villain. But all I know is this guy would just go on his own little runs of doing drugs and drinking and partying and then come play for the Bulls and give you 30 rebounds. This man was unbelievable, Drew. And I know a lot of people at home probably see what I've been watching this, but for those of you, I need to explain something to you. At one point in the documentary, and this was the craziest part for me, is that Dennis Rodman has been pretty open that he likes to party, you know, he likes to drink, go to, you know, Vegas, New York, wherever. And there was a point he was filling in for Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen, um, I don't remember if he was out because he was hurt or what it was, but it was Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan holding it down for the Bulls for the most part. Dennis Rodman gets to a point where he goes up to Phil Jackson, who's the coach of the Bulls, and Michael Jordan and the rest of the team and says, look, I need, I need a vacation. I need 48 hours in Vegas. And they're like, what the fuck? He goes, trust me. I just need to go party for 48 hours. I'll be back then. And if you could think about how sports are now, that's so ridiculous. Well, anyways, they let Dennis Rodman go. They let him go to Vegas where he ends up for more than 48 hours going on a drinking, uh, drinking bender he goes, uh, what I'm assuming is probably doing drugs and gambling because he's in Vegas. And then he's just fucking Carmen Electra and, Ma and, and Madonna 
Like, this guy is insane. He had to have Michael Jordan come and get him. Michael Jordan, of all people, you're going to send to Vegas to get <laughs> Dennis Rodman. That alone, like, that's st- – like, he's – He's in my top five. That's he's, it's it now. That's just it. Dennis Rodman is the is is a goat, right? Like I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a little tangent, but um, I, I saw a funny meme. It goes Draymond Green, or Dennis Rodman is what Draymond Green thinks he is, right? I saw a, I watched the video before the last dance, and they adjusted uh, per per possessions and per like rebounds per game. Dennis Rodman is the most dominant rebounder of all time. They adjust. They adjusted for like uh, back. I think oh, in the Bill Russell uh, era, towards the Will Chamberlain era, the game was played at a, a, a pretty fast pace, but there was also a lot of shots missed, so there was more opportunities for rebounds. In the '90s, um, it was a little bit slower pace, so there was opportunity for less rebounds uh, than there is today. Um, per like a, when you adjust the stats, man, his he came in the league when he was 25, so he, that's why he's a little bit lower on the total rebounds list. But when it comes to just like overall per game statistics, that dude was the most dominant rebounder, honestly, I think of all time. Like he was getting 20 boards, like 15, 16 boards, 17 boards, 24 boards, like on a regular night basis. Right? Sometimes putting up zero shots, like yeah. literally zero points. And and he will guard the best defender, like like or the best uh, offensive player. Um, I think it's crazy. At, at one point in his career, he's he guarded one through five and was – amazing at it in his first couple of years with the Detroit Pistons he was more of a wing uh a wing uh defender uh guarded point guards shooting guards uh wings um but then towards the 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 um run with the Bulls man this dude was six seven and he was guarding fucking Shaq and Carl Malone and fucking these big seven footers who are massive and he was shutting their ass down now right like shutting shutting Shaq down is like him still going for 25 and right 12 but like I mean he was he was doing a, a damn good job but yeah like you mentioned Dennis Rodman was a pioneer man he had a different background man. he 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 was um he invented load management he was <laughs> he was just i i think he was a true pioneer for 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 athletics man he 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 was a rock star he did not want to let the the norms of what an athlete uh is supposed to look like he didn't let none of that shit affect him he you know he wanted to you know, rock dresses. He wanted to dye his hair. He wanted to party. He wants to get nose piercings. He wanted to get tattoos. Like he was a true, right? Like he, he did what he wanted to do. And he really embraced that individuality that a lot of people would not have, um, you know, would not have um, liked at the time. And he was a very polarizing, controversial guy, but yeah, man, that, 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 that Vegas run, he, he literally came to the coaching staff and said, I need a vacation. Now a little backstory, like uh, Scotty Pippen was injured. He, he um, after that that ninety six ninety seven championship he he um, wait he didn't get surgery in the summer right after the championship because he said I want to fucking enjoy my summer because he was in contract. I want to fuck my summer up. I'm not about to fuck my summer up. So he waited till the season starts to get a surgery. So they were playing shorthanded and um, Dennis Rodman he had to become like one of the focal points of the team. Not that he wasn't before, but Scotty's not there, so he obviously had to step up a little bit more. And um, what Jordan said, he was walking a straight line. Like, he wasn't getting in trouble. He wasn't partying. He wasn't doing anything. And and I know we all got the, that, that friend or that person that we know who, like, is similar, right? Like, they, they need that. They need to, to get out and just let those fucking demons out. And he was walking that straight line for, like, months, and he's like, hey, I gotta, I gotta let some of this shit go. And he went and so partied funny. it up in Vegas, man. And um, 
I think Dennis Rodman, right? He's a, 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 a he deserves his fucking own documentary. Uh, I don't know. Watch the shit out of that. He's I friends mean, with he, Kim Jong Un. Maybe not ten, right? Maybe not ten episodes, but maybe like four or five. Like this dude went to fucking North Korea and fucking lived it up with Kim Jong Un. Who, who? I, I know we didn't even touch on this, but. Who the fuck is no, knows what's going on with that guy? I bet Dennis Rodman can get him on the phone now. I saw an article literally before we started recording. It said Kim Jong-un may be brain dead or just fine. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, how does that But, yeah, no, Dennis Rodman is such – like, that alone should prove he's such a character. And I think that's kind of why it worked out for him on the Bulls. Um I mean, everyone on the Bulls was a character themselves in their own way from, you know, Michael Jordan being like a psychopath to, you know, like the ownership and, you know, Phil Jackson, Jerry Krause. Funny story actually um, is that Jerry, the funny story between Jerry Krause and Dennis Rodman, when he first came, uh, no, not when he first came, it was the last meeting they were having before they were deciding if they were going to get Dennis Rodman. It was Jerry Krause, Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, and Scottie Pippen with Dennis Rodman. And Jerry Krause asked uh, Dennis Rodman why that he didn't like the GM of the Pistons. And, and Dennis Rodman said, because he kept trying to be my fucking friend. And Jerry Krause goes, well, then you're in luck because I don't want to be your fucking friend at all. He goes, I'm 30 years older than you. What the hell do we have in common? <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great you know you're fucking laying and staying it jerry cross was good at that i guess Some yeah, of them. yeah I, I do want to mention another thing in that documentary is that i absolutely love that michael jordan has still not forgiven isaiah thomas or the pistons at all for like 30 years he still hates isaiah thomas like he did in the 80s I love that. That's so funny to me. Yeah, it's awesome. It's he's just a fierce competitor, kind of an asshole, but a fierce competitor. I saw a meme. It goes, "Fucking, um, I, it might have been in the contract um, negotiations uh, that you know Jordan agreed to for this documentary, but I'm pretty sure he wrote somewhere in there. Hey, yeah, I'm down to do all these interviews as long as I can drink all my fucking whiskey while I'm doing this shit. I don't know. He's <laughs> just progressively getting drunker and fucking. That's how you knew the answers were going to be good. <laughs> it was great. I love every second of it. I, I, I don't know what's going to come in the next couple of episodes, but they got they got to do an episode on on MJ's gambling. No, like I don't know. I mean, I think they I think they're going to have to because I mean you can't just ignore that he went and played baseball. You know? No, no. I said his gambling. Oh, well, I was just relating that like all together, just like I don't because oh. you know like this conspiracies of why, but you know we'll oh yeah see. conspiracies yeah yeah, yeah uh, that we will talk about it another day, but yeah I mean. Dude, dude is known to you know gamble fucking poker blackjack all that shit um and then obviously there's some rumors about like something that happened to him and his family because of it um he retired for a little bit things like that so yeah i mean we got well we got six more episodes to go and i'm fucking happy it gives me something to look forward to every week um and for those folks who aren't watching it i suggest like i don't like if if you don't even like sports i guarantee you you will like this documentary um and, Michael Jordan is way bigger than sports, you and, know? And, like, and no, I'm not giving you your money back, but you will fucking like it. <laughs> right, yeah. You just, you know what? If you got cable, watch it there. If you don't, ask somebody else. You know, find a way to watch it. Uh, I think ESPN Plus has it, but I don't think it's aired live on ESPN Plus. Um, but 
I just know that I will I will be rewatching much of this as well as you know being very well tuned in for the next couple of weeks. And just to um, before we move on to the next topic, I just want to give a plug for the OJ Made in America ESPN documentary. I don't think it's a ten part series. I think it's probably like a like a six part series. I don't remember, but it is damn good. If you are very interested in uh, the OJ case and the polarization of that, it, it very it, it dives it dives deep into um, the topic of. Um, race in the criminal justice system, especially within Los Angeles County, um, coming off the Rodney King, then going to OJ, like they, they really tie everything in very, very well together. So if you're a fan of the ESPN production and the documentary series that they've been producing, go check out OJ Made in America on ESPN. It's on ESPN Plus. Um, you can probably find it on a lot of different streaming platforms. Very, very good. Uh, deep dives into the OJ Simpson and uh, case in, uh, back in LA. Yeah, I actually haven't seen that. I do need to check it's, that out. It's, it's fucking damn good. I, I You will like it. I guarantee you, you will like it. Huh? Shit. All right, I got you. Um, I guess just to move on to a little bit of music talk, for those who are unaware, uh, Travis Scott hosted a concert in Fortnite. And some of you probably were like, yeah, I heard of that. And then some of you were probably saying, how the fuck did that happen? So um, I... I, saw, I didn't play the game and go to the concert, but I saw a lot of the clips of it. Uh, basically, it's the Fortnite map, and right in the middle, there was a big Astro World like planet floating. A giant Travis Scott came out character. You can make your characters look like Travis Scott. Uh, I don't have any of the numbers, but I know just from all the articles and uh, people talking about it online, it was massively successful. It seemed like a lot of people really liked it. Travis only performed like five or six songs during the time. I, I, like four or five of them were, you know, some of his popular hits. And then he released one new song with uh, Kid Cudi called The Scots. Uh, all right song. I didn't, I didn't love it. Pop first listen, but I, I definitely liked it. Um, I don't know how you feel about this, Drew, but this, I mean, this could be the first of many new ways that we have, you know, entertainment. I don't know about, you know, future concerts, but then what is this to say about, you know, um, stand-up comedy or movies, television shows? Like, I guess this is just part of what coronavirus is. It's going to make people think of new ideas. And as I mean, as someone who doesn't play Fortnite a lot, that's okay. I still did think this concert was a really good idea. Yeah, man, I, it was pretty cool. I I didn't watch that. I saw clips of it online. Um, it was a pretty cool situation, right? I think they did do it one other time couple, uh, over a year ago. I think they did a marshmallow concert. I don't think it was as I don't think it was as of a big event as far as like him releasing new music, them releasing more, um, I guess skins or outfits that you can customize your player and things like that. So I think they did take that and took it to a new level with the quarantine, not being live music, not being live performances, things like that. I mean, right. Like you got to innovate, right. You got to figure out how to fucking uh, generate that, um, that public um, excitement, that public um, want to, to kind of, you know, indulge in different things. Um, I just want to say something real quick. I don't have any new music that I've been listening to. I think this last like week and a half has been a little bit uh, um, dry as far as new music. But I saw something very, very interesting, man. Like, it is probably a really tough time to be a, 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 in the music business or in show business, a performer, entertainment, right? Like, I don't know if you guys know this, but a lot of these d folks don't make, um, they don't make a ton of money off of their music. Now, where they make a lot of their money is going to be off of touring 
uh, concerts, shows, appearances at clubs, appearances on TV shows, appearances like, you know, those kinds of things are where a lot of these guys make a lot of their uh, guys and girls make a lot of their money. And if you weren't saving, God damn, are your pockets probably hurting? Because, you know, yeah, fucking um, probably a lot of these guys got expensive lifestyles. So I hope that um, folks have been responsible with their money. Um, but it's got to be a tough time. Like, I, I think I mentioned this last time, but music streams are down, um, which, you know, that's a smaller part of their income, but that's also down. So like, you know, it's a tough time to be in the entertainment business. Um, but I just wanted to make light of that. And hopefully these folks are, um, you know, we're being smart with their money. Yeah, no, that's, that is true. Um, it's a, it's pretty big misconception that people think that like, uh, music artists make a lot of money because they see the big stars, you know, they see the Drakes and the Kanye's of the world. But until you get to that like top 5%, you really don't make a lot of money. I thought there's some crazy stat. If it, it's something like the top 10% of music earners earn like 70% of all the music or 65% of all the revenue from, and then like the rest is just split amongst everyone. These smaller artists on Spotify apple music and stuff so that it's always funny I, I see this a lot uh people who have apple music i'll see them tweet out something like well i think if i have an iphone like i deserve to get free apple music and while that would be really cool right then it's like you're just eliminating you're i don't think enough people realize how much those streams are important to small artists like i know a couple people who just make music you know make they make some money on the side or they do it for a hobby and that money is just like an extra paycheck for them like i'm sure i'm sure drake's fine if if you stop streaming drake right. you know like yeah. drake's got money for days but not everyone is drake and that's exactly. and, and it also it also they bring up about like entertainers it's interesting to see other types of entertainers from people who you know you see these public artists who go out and do things you see people like stand-up comics and they kind of all fall in the same realm of hey we need these places to even make our money uh music i guess might be one of the better suited to survive this type of situation um i know a lot of like street performers and street artists and stand-up comics can't really do their stuff, you know, while we're all locked inside. I mean, it, like stand-up comedy, you need that live reaction. You can't just send a bunch of laughing emojis while you're doing it like on IG Live, you know? It'd be a little weird for sure. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's it's a tough time for a lot of people. Um, I know we didn't talk about coronavirus. Um, but yeah, man, hopefully, right, like a lot of injuries are being hit hard. We hope that, you know, you guys are all staying safe, first and foremost, hopefully. Um, hope you guys are still receiving paychecks, even though I know a lot of you probably aren't. Uh, but yeah, man, it's just a tough time. A lot of industries are being impacted. Um, but this is going to bring me to the last point, right? Like uh, before we finish off the episode, this this one thing, right, that has been bothering me for a while now um, that I just want to talk about. We all know that the the cost of education in the United States is, is pretty high, especially compared to some other countries, uh, right? Especially in Europe. Um, Japan, a lot of places in, in the world who are on the same um, or similar um, level as far as economic opportunity, uh, you know, jobs, things like that. Um, it's just really, really expensive here. And to do, to do, not to do anything that matters, but a lot of the more um, lucrative careers, a lot of the more, um, you know, maybe not even lucrative, maybe the things that you might find meaning in, the things that you like doing that bring you joy, 
whether that's, um, you know, being a researcher, being a professor, um, being a journalist, being, um, you know, a lawyer, while that can be lucrative, sometimes it's not like a lot of things that you kind of get that gratification from a personal level is just really hard to come by and you have to almost put yourself in a lot of debt to get there, especially if you don't come from a family who has access to, you know, uh, money in order for you to kind of, you know, you know, maybe get that undergrad degree um, for free because mom and dad had some money or, you know, you weren't able to get that athletic scholarship. You weren't able to get that academic scholarship. And um, it, it, it's really just been bothering me, right? Like if, if, if you want to be a doctor, you got to put yourself in, you know, a couple hundred grand worth of debt. Now maybe medical school is an outlier because more often than not, you'll probably be able to get that return on investment, but there's a lot of, you know, those more meaningful careers where you probably won't get that return on investment for a very long time. And that student loan debt, that student loan debt is just overwhelming you and hanging over your head, man. So that's just something that's been bothering me, which is why um, our next episode, we're going to kind of, we're going to tackle student loan debt in America. And we're going to go on a deep dive and, you know, talk about um, how it's been affecting the, the, the country and affecting workers and, you know, educators and uh, folks in the world who kind of want to make a difference. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I, I think that, there's a lot of stuff we're going to be able to cover next week. Uh, besides of how it's impacting people, I think it's important we're going to tell you guys some of the causes and what got us to this point, uh, as well as what we think are some solutions, you know, on the way out. I know something, I guess this is a related thing that I've been, I was thinking about a while ago. And, and now that you brought up about the cost of schooling, it's interesting now that there's a whole class of college freshmen who are going to be, you know, freshmen this upcoming academic year, and there's a high chance that campuses aren't going to be open, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think now the way we do education is in a very interesting spot. We probably co we'll cover more of this in the next episode, but we're in an interesting spot where you're going to be having kids try to convince their parents to pay upwards of, you know, 30, 40, 50, $60,000 for a school year when they're going to be just taking online classes at their house, yep. you know? So yeah. I don't really know how universities and where education is going to go from here, but it's something I think it's interesting we can discuss. Definitely, man. That's something we'll, we'll deep dive. I think the world after this COVID-19 um, passes over, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look a lot different. Um, so yeah, man, I'm looking forward to coming back to you guys next week with uh, more um, I will say what we call like um, impactful episode where we're going to do a little bit of research. We're going to, you know, deep dive into some topics and hopefully you learn something. Um, if not, oh well, but appreciate all the support. Keep listening. Please like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, and Anchor FM. Um, hopefully you guys enjoy the content that we're producing. We do appreciate the feedback and support. Thank you all very much. Hope you guys have a great week. Stay safe. Love y'all.